Well, good morning, South Potomac. Here's a new series called All In. I, I grabbed the title from a book by Mark Batterson, and if you pick up that book, it's a great read. It'll be different than what I'm preaching these next few weeks, but the theme is uh, very similar. The fact that we need to go all in when it comes to living for Christ. I'm glad that you're here, that you gave the first hours of the first day of the week uh, to worshiping the Lord together. It's always good to sing, isn't it? Good to pray together, good to give to the Lord and, and to rejoice. I got amen on the singing, not so much on the fellowship. And then the giving one was almost like, oh, yeah. It's good to give to the Lord. Amen? Right? Amen. Yeah, it is good. He is the giver, right? I mean, God so loved that he gave. So but, um, what I want to do today is just begin this series. Let's go to Matthew 19. And um, we're going to look at some familiar passages uh, during the series. And when you get Matthew 19, hope, put a marker there, and then we'll go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, just for a verse or two there. And now, dear Father in heaven, I, I ask that, that in my life and in the lives of those in my hearing, that this would be a message, not just another Lord's Day event for us, but a message that would penetrate our hearts, something very familiar, yet, Lord, so essential to the Christian life. And uh, without it, Lord, we, we will wander, our hearts will grow cold, we're afraid of what would happen to us if we don't find ourselves all in. So convince us of that, I pray, and may my words be clear and gracious, but may I shed uh, some great light on an eternal truth, Lord, that we all need to hear. I pray this in Christ's name. And the church says amen. 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 Well, we love, we live in America, we love options, don't we? You, you ever thought about that? You've been into a shoe department lately, a store? You go in there and there's just like way too many options uh, for shoes. It, it doesn't matter where you go, uh, just a lot of options. Um, and I know I sound old when I say this, but when I was a kid, I know, here we go, Dad. Um, but when I was a kid, the, the breakfast cereals, we had like six, you know? And we had like a guy with a picture, he was an actor, you know, it'd be a pole vaulter or something, that box would be called. Wheaties, yes, we had Cheerios, and we had like some kind of whole grain mystery wheat, you know, thing. And then we had some puffed stuff. Did any eat the puffed stuff? I never liked that stuff. It floated. You put milk on it, it floated. And it's just going to do that in my stomach. I, don't, I want something that stays, you know, doesn't float around. Uh, and, um, and so we, today, I mean, there's hundreds, hundreds of just cereals, right? And that's just, the stores today have, I think, 30,000 different items in them. It's, it's crazy. We love our options, don't we? And uh, we live in a society that just goes after the options. Part of that is our control, too. We like what we like. We've decided what we like. And customarily, we like to add to it to make it ours. And by the culture, when we move towards that, what happens is we subtly move away from one of the Christian values and that's the value to be totally all in. To not customize Christianity to our making, but instead we allow Christianity to customize us. We change rather than changing Christianity. It pushes against, uh, when we customize everything in life, it pushes against us growing in patience and long-suffering, wisdom and understanding. And there's certainly nothing wrong with customizing your life and going for what you believe is your, the best choices. 
but it, but it holds you back from following Jesus fully, that's when we get into trouble. That's where it's subtly so dangerous. And that's why I want to talk about this the next few weeks. Because when we talk about following Christ in personal faith, and that's where I am, I'm a Christ follower in faith. And I, I like a backseat driver, like you and like me, we are all backseat drivers. We want to tell the Lord occasionally, oh, turn up here, go this way. I want to grow, but I don't want to go down any painful roads, Lord. Anybody else prayed that prayer? Yeah. I want to grow in grace and in knowledge. I just don't want it to be painful. And he's going, oh, we're going to go down some rocky roads in order to, for you to grow in patience, but you'll love it at the other end. So when it comes to following him, I want you to resist the urge to, to make your, your, your greatest customization, your greatest path, your newest T-shirt, and just go all in and just follow him where he leads you and where his word is, is directing um, when giving your life energy to a cause, you want to go all in. And so I, I start with this phrase. If you want to make lasting impact in life, here's the deal. If you want to make lasting impact, you have to invest in something that's going to outlast you. And, and that means investing in things that really matter. Let go of the thinking that I can have multiple paths, meaningless events that will add up to something significant. All that will do is wear you out, and in the midst, it, you'll invest yourself in something that will not outlast you. So there are only two things that last forever, the scriptures tell us. The word of the Lord lasts forever and people last forever. The word of the Lord lasts forever, God's word will never pass away. Scriptures declare it, history proves it. Um, no book has been more banned and more burned than the Bible and yet it seems to prevail everywhere. You go to China today where the Bible was banned and guess what, there are believers there, churches and houses. In fact, in the Middle East, right now, if you're to go to Afghanistan and Iran, we're missing Christians in horrible persecution. And yet, I just received a magazine copy, and in the, in the picture was a bunch of Iranian believers, 300 believers getting baptized. It's crazy. You can try to extinguish Christianity, and the Bible in particular, and it seems to flourish. Why? Because it will not ever go away. The second thing will never go away are people. Once they're conceived... Humans are humans forever. It's just a matter of address. You say, well, I'll only be here on earth. Yeah, it's right. Then your address changes. And that's why I want to convince you, make your address heaven, not hell. Because you will last forever. It's just a matter of where. See, and that's a serious issue. That's why I'm asking you, go all in to follow Christ, to love on him, to, to make his commands the thing that you really not just do, but you really want to do. Give yourself to the things that will outlast you. One time, a guy asked, teacher, what's the greatest command? Matthew chapter 22. What's the big deal? And Jesus said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. It depends on the, the translation and the, the texture. But Matthew 22. And he says, and the second one's just like it. Love your neighbor. Love people. So we call that around here worship. It's loving God. And then connecting with people, loving on people. And we've also included Matthew 28 in Jesus' primary directives. Around here we say we are devoted to five things. To worship, connect, grow, serve, and share. To worship, connect, grow, serve, and share. Say it with me. We are devoted to worship, connect, grow, serve, share. That was pretty good. You can do better than that, though. I think you can. Maybe I'll use this hand, okay? Ready? We're, we're devoted to... Worship, connect, 
grow, serve, share. Those are the commands of Christ. He says that's of primary importance, and that's what you'll be measured for, the measure which you love other people, the way you grew in strength of character of your knowledge of Christ, how you loved on Jesus, that's the aspect of worship, and, and how you shared your possessions with other people, and how you gave, not just gave to the church, but how you shared your faith with people who need it. And, and here's the thing. We added this in our purpose statement. None of that will really matter if you're not devoted, if you aren't earnest about it, if you aren't seeking it 100%, because you'll always find a more convenient path, a different way to go. Now, you're in Acts chapter 2. Skip over to, this is the first days of the church in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit's just come. Jesus has just risen from the dead. He said, I'm going to go make uh, disciples. and I, I want you to make disciples, and the Holy Spirit will be with you. And then he went to heaven. That's Acts 1. And in Acts chapter 2, they came to trust Jesus Christ as, as the uh, first wave of believers were preaching the good news. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says this, and they devoted themselves and here it is, the apostles' teaching, that's growing into fellowship, that's connecting, to breaking of bread, that's worship and, and, and prayer. We see it right from the early days. But they didn't just do it casually. They didn't say this. Here's what we say today. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He paid the penalty. And as my way of saying thanks to him, I'm going to show up to church maybe once a month. What is that? No, no, that wasn't that. He said, well, okay, twice a month. No, no. What did they say? They were devoted. You get the difference? They were devoted to this. This was their habit. Sometimes I read early American literature, and they talk about, they talk about early American leaders who were devoted to their work. They were attorneys or pastors. It doesn't really matter. They're scholars. Early American history, they would say about these guys, you could set your clock by them. Have you ever met a person like that? You could set your clock by them. Isn't it, wouldn't it be great if you could set your clock by Christians who were just that devoted that they just knew you were going to be a worshiper, you were going to connect with godly people, you are going to grow in your faith, you are going to serve other people. They, they could determine the outcome. They already knew how you would respond to a situation because you were that devoted. Even about sharing your faith, even though they didn't get it, they just knew, I could set my clock on that guy. I know, put him in this situation... And he will tell someone about Jesus. He will share his faith and he will minister to them and maybe even meet their need by serving them. That's devoted. That's devoted. And they were, they were devoted not only to teaching but to this rich fellowship of this, I, I have to be with another believer, brother, sister in Christ occasionally, and to be serving because it only works when we're totally devoted to it. It does not work, as we're going to find out. It doesn't work when you're not devoted to it. Okay? And that's what happened in the early church of, um, of the next wave of believers. Um, just watch the screen, 1 Corinthians 16. In the house of Stephanus, the first uh, Christians in Achaia, that'd be an upper portion of Greece going towards Turkey, they devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. They devoted themselves. They gave themselves to that. They devoted themselves, Colossians chapter 4, to prayer, that's worship, and to being watchful and thankful. The very things that the first wave of Christians devoted themselves to sort of these people. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Titus chapter 3, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what's good. That's connecting and serving in order that they'll provide for the others and not live unproductive lives. When, 
when the apostles first talked about devotion, they had a richness of Old Testament in their words. The richness goes like this. We don't really have this. In the Old Testament, when something was devoted to the Lord, oftentimes it meant it was burned. It meant they're laying it on an altar, and they're going to get lighter fluid and some sticks and brush, and they're going to burn this thing. And in fact, they're not even going to participate in it. They're going to let the smoke be the gift to God. That's how devoted it is. In other words, only God gets the benefit of this. I don't get any benefit from it at all. That's devotion. When they devoted a city, oftentimes that was Hebrew uh, nomenclature. That was Hebrew wording for they burned the city. They gave that city to God. Very occasionally did they ever take it for themselves. And that's what devotion meant, honoring God by giving it fully to him. And what I'm asking you to do is to be all in and be fully devoted as a follower. You don't have to, you don't have to give up your life today and die. What I'm asking you to do is give up your life and live and really live for him, full out for him. Now, we know this too. We know it doesn't work if you're not fully devoted because Matthew chapter 6, Jesus put it this way, no one can serve two masters. Either you're going to love the one, hate the other, or you're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. You don't believe me, just try being married to two women, guys. Try being married to two men, ladies. You cannot do it. You cannot please them all. It cannot be done. I love the words of C.T. Studd. Uh, he wrote it this way, and you know this, these words. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So in other words, if you're going to give yourself to something, give yourself to something that's going to go for eternity. Studd was absolutely right. We know not a whole lot about C.T. Studd, but here's what we do know. Born in the 1800s in England, he was there during a revival time, friends with actually Hudson Taylor. Uh, C.T. Studd was a, a cricketer. <laughs> it's kind of baseball, but not croquet, but baseball with no bases. I'm not sure what cricket is, but it's kind of that. But he was really good. His brothers were really good. They were on their own team. Do you know what they were called? The Stud Brothers. <laughs> Can you imagine being up against those guys? Who are you fighting today? Well, we're, we're up against the stud brothers. We're not going to win, you know. He was really good, could go pro, played in college and was ready to go pro, but God called him to China to do mission work. So he went with Hudson Taylor, actually, and did mission work in China and uh, in the late 1800s. He would return to England, and he had such a fervor because he was so all in that when he sensed that that China ministry was going well, he went to the Belgian Congo, which is in the central portion of Africa. We would call it the Democratic Republic of Congo today, it, it, but it's called back then the Belgian Congo. Um, and he felt the need to take the good news of Christ there, and so he did. Started actually an agency, a mission agency that would get other missionaries to go and support the cause, because he was all in about this. And this is what I love about his life. This is the quote that is not as popular as the first one on the screen. The second one on the screen. Someone to live within the sound of a church or chapel bell. But that's not CT's uh, life. His life is this. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Isn't that good? 
In other words, I want my life to really, really matter. Now, devotion can be measured. You're saying, well, I think I'm devoted. I'm just not sure. Well, here's how you measure devotion. By the heart and intention of the heart, by attitude, and then certainly by action. Intention of the heart is exceedingly difficult. Only you and the Lord know, and half the time you don't even know. You ever done something and you can't figure out why you did that or what you did or how you did it? And you, that's the intention of the heart. Sometimes you know, sometimes only the Lord knows what's going on. But there's a second layer, and that's the attitude. And you may not know your attitude. In fact, half the time you don't. Other people pick up your attitude before you realize your attitude. And you're saying, that really ticks me off that you're saying that. Yeah, you got an attitude problem right there. So there's this attitude thing, and then there's a third thing, and that's the really obvious. That's action. That's what is plain to all. We can say all we want that we're devoted, but your attitude speaks, and your action is clear, and even your heart, even when you don't realize it, you know if you're devoted or not, and the Lord most of all knows. That is illustrated for us in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19, pick it up at verse 16. Just then a man came up to Jesus. Jesus was teaching. If you have a Bible with red print, this is a lot of red print because he's talking. A man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? He was wanting to do something, get this, to get eternal life. Right off to the side if you're taking notes. Religion says do and faith says done. Okay? Religion says do, faith says done. By the way, the work of Jesus Christ has completed all you need. All you need to do is trust him. We sang it, just as I am without one plea, but that thy love was, was spared for me, it was given for me. All we need to do is come to him in personal faith. Why? Because all that needs to be done to be right before God is done. You simply need to trust him. That's a decision you can make today. Well, this guy wanted to do something, okay? Verse 17, why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to live, uh, to enter uh, life, keep the commandments. He's saying there's only one who is good. It's um, the Greek word is agathos. It means intrinsically good, wholesome good, good through and through, okay? And by that, it's just not good action, but it's good in heart, soul, attitude, and in action, okay? It's good all the way through, that's what that means. So he's saying, there's only one who does good. He says, well, which ones? And so Jesus replies, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. He starts quoting Old Testament law. You shall not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father, your mother, love your neighbor as yourself. He starts to give them part of the Ten Commandments. He says, verse 20, I've kept all those, even as a young man. You know what you have here? You have a Pharisee in the making right here. (laughs) You have a guy who does good and is proud about it, okay? And humility is nowhere to be found. He says, I've got all these. What do I still like? He says, I'm still not getting it. He doesn't know what it is, but he knows he's not getting it because he's, I've done all those things. Jesus answers, you want to be perfect. In other words, a complete. You want the complete package to this. He says, if you want to be perfect, you go sell your possessions. Who is he talking to, by the way? The guy is called a rich, say it, what is he? Rich, young, ruler. Those are the three terms you use when you look at this passage, right? He's filthy rich, got a lot of money. 
He's young, so he's got a lot of optimism. He thinks he actually earned his own way. He's young, naive to his own success, and he's a ruler, so he's got influence and power. You put money and power and attitude together, oh my word, you have a beast in the making. And then you think you have a guy who thinks he keeps all the law? You have a Pharisee. Wanda and I were out to lunch with some uh, pastoral friends. We had gone to a conference together some time ago. We stopped for lunch. Another pastoral couple was in the restaurant. They said, share the table with us. Let's go. And I said, what's it like pastoring where you are? He was in an upper scale side of town. A lot of rich people. A lot of, you know, a lot of people who paid to have their houses clean so they could go golf. It was, the life was great. I was pastoring in a town where the people cleaned those houses, you know. So I wanted to know what the other side looked like. I said, so what's that like? And she said, it was very insightful. She said, well, we have to get them lost first to help them get saved. In other words, they don't even know they're lost. And I said, well, what's that like? She says, you have to understand, our town is full of, and she used this term, rich, young rulers. It's hard for them to get into the kingdom. Why? Because they, if they need it, they go buy it. If they need it, they have the influence to go get it. It's hard for them to enter the kingdom. Why? Because they're so cluttered with their own success. And so this guy says, Jesus, I keep all those commands. Jesus says, you want to be perfect. You take all your possessions and give them away. Now, you have to remember this. Jesus, some people use this passage as a, a means of saying to you, you need to take a vow of poverty, okay? I, I'm not in favor of that. Number one, I've been poor. I don't like it. <laughs> Can I get an amen, right? <laughs> I've been poor. I've been rich. I prefer rich, okay? I, I, I don't think that's the intent of the passage. What was the intent of the passage? He knew this guy's idol was his money and his influence and his own self-made religion, his optimism because of his youth. So he said, you give away your possessions. In other words, you're gonna have to trust me and not trust your riches. He's never, you have to understand this, Jesus didn't say that to everybody, only to this guy. Why? Because that was his idol. And if you're gonna go all in, you're gonna have to ask yourself, what is my idol? Everybody has one, or two, or three. So Jesus asked ask him, uh, are you willing to give up your possessions? What was missing was this. He, this guy had everything he could want in life, but he really didn't have the risk factor, so there was no excitement in following God and trusting this Savior Christ. He was in no danger. There, he was a, I, I think, frankly, the guy was a list checker. You know what I'm talking about with a list checker? He wanted to do something, wanted to get it done, check it off the list. I, I, I gave to the poor, I, I followed the commandments, I, I did these things, didn't kill anybody. But he wanted to do it with no commitment. He was married to his stuff. And Jesus saw right through that. Because he knows not only the action, but he knows the heart, the intent, and the attitude. Right? That's this devotion piece. I love what Mark Batterson says. It goes like this. I've met very few people possessed by a demon. <laughs> and hallelujah for that. But I've met many people who are possessed by their possessions. 
Jesus never asked anyone else, to our knowledge, why did he ask this guy? Well, because he was rich. He had it all. He was young, energetic, optimistic, had all the ideas and the answers, self-starter probably, first in his class in the management leadership class. But he was a ruler. He had authority. You know what? The guy didn't do it. That's the end of the story. He walked away shaking his head to Jesus, like, I'm not doing it. And that told Jesus and everybody else, the guy doesn't really love his neighbor. He doesn't really follow the Ten Commandments. He doesn't really believe. And you know what? We never hear about this guy ever again. To our knowledge, he doesn't show up anywhere else in Scripture. Here's the question you have to ask yourself. What is it that keeps me from following Christ fully? What keeps me from that? Okay, so a few weeks ago, Wanda and I were able to get out of town uh, for a while, and we went uh, to the woods, which I love the woods. I could hike in the woods all day. She loves the water. And we went to a place that had both, woods and water. And I did a week of family camp at a place that's not really family camp, it's more like family resort. You know the difference? Camp is a stove and a tent and stuff. This was like air conditioning, carpeted, private bath camping. Can I get a hallelujah? Yeah. Oh my gosh, save my marriage. I was camp pastor for a week on a beautiful lake, and 100 yards out from our A-frame cabin was you know, pontoon boats, speed boats, I mean, kayaks, everything you could want. And there were games all day, families did stuff all day, and there, there were um, spiritual moments uh, that I led in, but it was just like a vacation. Then we had another week on another lake and uh, with some friends, and uh, we got to see a daughter who's in grad school. It was a wonderful trip. But on more than one occasion, Wanda and I were able to get into a boat and just kind of tool around the lake. And and one of the times we did it, we, we were in a speedboat, and you know, a speedboat's like, could come up out of the water. Have you ever been in a speedboat? <laughs> okay, that's enough. You know, and I'm, I'm not even Catholic, and I was kind of <laughs> doing that thing, you know. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I've seen YouTubes of people standing up and falling out. You've seen those YouTubes? They're funny, because it's not me. <laughs> you know, they're funny, so. Um, well, they shut the speedboat down, and we just drifted off into the weeds on this lake. And uh, they say it'd be real quiet. We were quiet for probably 10 minutes, and then we look, and we see eagles coming back into some trees, and we realize why we have to be quiet for a They actually hunker down when there's a motor going. You're quiet for a while. There's an eagle's nest like 50 feet up, and these tiny little eaglets are out, and then the, the, they're checking their wings and feeding them and they're in and out of the nest. It was gorgeous. We could sit there for half a day if you wanted. We sat there for probably an hour and watched it. It was just beautiful. On another excursion, Wanda and I were out alone on a pontoon boat and uh, that was a lot of fun. You know what pontoon boats are? Big, big square boats that kind of go like seven miles an hour, which is, feels a little safer anyway. And uh, we we went out on this one particular lake, and there, you know what wood ducks are? There's a, a, a duck on this, a bird on this lake that was called a loon. It makes a, a loon sound. 
And uh, these loons would be on the water, and you, you would miss them. They'd be gone, and then all of a sudden they'd pop up. Here they were under the water this whole time. And I don't know what the lung capacity of these birds are, but they would, go, they would dive bomb to the bottom, come up eating stuff from the bottom of the lake. And I would look over the boat like, okay, this is not three feet of water. We're, this is still deep. Those, those ducks really know what they're doing. It was beautiful to see. Well, we had a wonderful time. That's not the point. Here's the point. You know what the most dangerous time is when you're on that boat? Do you know what the most dangerous time is? It's actually getting on the boat. Think about it. You're going from a, a dock to a boat that's doing that because it's in the water. And it looks peaceful from 100 yards back. But the closer you get, the more you're going... I need another cup of coffee before I step onto this thing. Have you ever gone to step on a boat and then gone, no, I don't think so? You ever done that? That's called baptism right there. That's what that's called. Because I've seen plenty of people, and there's more YouTubes about it. In fact, I was pulling up YouTubes and I was laughing about all these people who, you know, did the unthinkable thing, but it all looked painful, you know, eventually because they step out to get on the boat. Well, then the boat moves, and then they decide, I'm not getting on yet. And then they, it's in that moment of hesitation, that's when they land in the lake, right? You've seen that before. Then you've seen the guy go, okay, I'm getting on. And then he gets on, but he never lets go of the dock. What is this called? This is a slow baptism right here, because he's going <laughs> to lose his dignity while staying on both at the same time. And I have to applaud him for great muscle control, the ability to scream like an eight-year-old girl. And he's doing, but he's still going down, right? Isn't that true? It's true. And, and eventually, you, you have to decide. Here, here's the key. You're going to get on the boat. You just need to make the step and go, I'm on the boat. And then you, just, then you start to go with the flow of the boat, right? Don't fight the flow of the boat. Why? because it's got acres and acres of water coming at it, you're not going to change the flow of that boat. So what I've done is I've watched the boat until it's at that peak, you know, see what pattern it's running, and then I step out like I knew what I was doing, although I don't. Oh, I made it. And then I scream like a girl inside, but I act like a man on the outside, you know. Yeah, of course I'm fine. And, uh, and then... Wanda says, well, someone needs to get off the boat to pull the rope off the dock. Then I have to go back? It ain't going to happen. That's why I keep a knife in my pocket. Just cut that rope. <laughs> We're off. We're out of here. So, you understand what gets you in trouble is hesitation, double-mindedness, right? It is splitting your energies because you can't split your energy. I've never met a person yet who goes to the dock with glue on this foot going, okay, I can get 90% of my body weight out over the water and still come back. You don't have enough sit-ups in you and stomach muscles and leg muscles, and you don't have the ability to pull back quickly enough. doesn't happen. Once you make the lunge, make the lunge. When you get hurt is when you think about it and then hesitate and then pull back. And then here's what happens too. I've seen this before. People go to get on the boat 
and then they pull back, and then they land in the water, and then they stand up, because they're like, you know, they're at the docks, it's only maybe three or four or five feet deep. Then they stand up, and then they look at the people in the boat, like, what's wrong with you? Why did you do this to me? And we were going, we didn't do anything to you, you did it to yourself, we were just in the boat. And they, and they look at you like there's something wrong with you. Have you had this before? Maybe you've done it to people. I had a buddy who went over the boat, and, if, and while the guys are laughing, he pulls out his new iPhone, puts it up on the boat. Here, you're going to need this. And here's my wallet, so you can connect, you know, you can just notify next of kin, because he's just soaking wet. But it's nobody's fault except his own, because he did it to himself. People in the boat didn't do that to you. Here's the way it is following Christ. You're following Christ, and if you don't decide to go all in, you know what's going to happen? You're going to wound yourself, hurt yourself. Your own hesitation, your own double-mindedness, your own inability just to move forward and cause separation from your former life, you'll always want to hang on to something back on shore. And when you do that, you'll never be all in. And nobody can go on the boat ride and keep one foot on the dock. It's never been done. So, what keeps me from going all in? Double-mindedness. The separation thing. Wanting to go back. So, here are the questions I leave you with today. You ready? Two questions. What is it about my life that is not all in, all committed to Christ? What is it about my life? And what do I need to do to let go of and be all in and follow the Savior? What do I just need to do? Now, I'm going immediately to the do. Why? Because I know once you do it, then, then emotionally, in your heart, it'll change, and in your attitude, it will change. It will not change if you don't put it into motion. And I'm telling you this ahead of time, what you do to follow the Lord may be a habit thing that you're doing, and you realize I have to change that habit, don't expect to get warm fuzzies right away. Why? Because your attitude is still in the old attitude. So give that some time as you do the right thing. And just as there's this many different people in the room, there are that many different things that are holding out. For some, it is, um, you just have no compassion for the poor. And you may need to go set up a garage sale and give all that away. For others, it's time and patience. For others, it's a bad habit. Um, for others, it's an issue of patience. I, I don't know what it is that keeps you from going all in. Um, you may have had bad past experience. Well, you can repeat that scenario in your head the rest of your life, or you can let it go, leave it on the dock, and get on the boat. But you can't go both ways. You can't. And, and here's the deal, too. When you do land in the water, have you been around people who've been wounded by the church? Yeah, all of us have. And, and people land in the water because they didn't go all in. And then they look at the people in the church like, what did you do wrong? You say, we didn't do anything wrong. You, you did it to yourself. We'd love for you to get on the boat. We would love. We'll pull close. We'll pull close and we'll be there, but we can't stop the wave of what's happening. And we certainly can't keep you from hesitating. That's your decision. And so we're going to close and ask God, God, help us to make one step forward this week to be all in to follow him. Okay? Let's stand as we pray.
Lord, you've been good to preserve your word for us. And just like we're reading 2,000-year-old texts today that are living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, it seems to pierce our heart and soul and in even our actions, we know it's living. So we thank you that you've preserved it. And since you've preserved it, we realize it, it does last forever. And in light of that, we want to follow your word and we want to invest in people, ourselves to begin with and those around us next. And we want to do that investment not just half-heartedly, but wholeheartedly, devoted. And I'm going to ask you, just, you ask God right where you're standing. Here's the, here it is, God. This is mine. And maybe it's a scar from the past, a bad, sinful habit, an element of selfishness. It doesn't really matter. It's not surprising to the Lord for you to admit that to him either. This is what holds me back. God, help me to make a step forward to go all in following you. Would you pray that? And for some of us in the room, the prayer is simply, Lord, save me. I need a savior from my own sin, and I trust Christ to be my risen Lord. I trust him today. For the work you do in our hearts and lives, Lord, we will be grateful. And we're grateful that you are patient with us all along and uh, never turning away even the smallest of decisions. Encourage us as we move forward this week for your glory and your grace. We pray this in the strong, risen name of Christ our Savior. The church says amen. amen.